Welcome to Basic Prayer. The teaching series within this podcast is a part of the Basic Discipleship Program. In Luke 11:1, 1, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Our hope is that this material will equip you with basic Bible truth so that you can have a strong and effective prayer life. Now, let's join today's lesson. Well, hello, welcome to this fourth session on our basic prayer study. So glad you've joined with us. In this fourth uh, session, uh, we're, we're focusing on the subject of breaking down barriers to prayer. Breaking down barriers to prayer. Now, it's true in our Christian experience sometimes we seem to have what we would call barriers or hindrances to our prayer life. Uh, sometimes we don't feel like praying. Sometimes we simply can't pray. As we pray, it seems that we can't generate the words or the thoughts that we need to really connect with God. Sometimes our lives seem so overrun with stuff and the details of life that we find no room for prayer. And as a result, we become prayerless. And I want to remind us that according to Scripture, prayerlessness equals godlessness. Prayerlessness leads to fruitlessness. Prayerlessness is a result of faithlessness. And if we want to be the people God wants us to be, if we want to experience the life of God for which we've been created, uh, we have to learn how to break down the barriers to prayer in our life. Charles Spurgeon once said, if God means to bless you greatly, he will make you to pray greatly. If God means to bless you greatly, he will make you or teach you to pray greatly. So I don't know about you. I want to experience the blessed life, that life that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount when he used that word blessed over and over again. And I know that the words of Spurgeon really are true. To experience the blessed Christian life, I need to make sure there are no barriers to prayer in my life. So, so we want to talk about how to break down the barriers to prayer in our life. And then to do that, I want to speak under two subject headings. We really want to look, as we've been doing in this discipleship series, topically at this subject. And to do so, we're going to focus on two subject headings. And I want to encourage you to break down the barriers of prayer to do two things. Number one, be on guard against hindrances to prayer. Be on guard against hindrances to prayer. According to scripture, there are some specific traps to be avoided, or there are some very specific things that can keep us from praying. The Bible is, is very clear on this matter. The Bible, as we study it, I believe, makes note of four different hindrances that can often thwart our prayer life. Uh, first of all, we can suffer from what I would call lack of know-how. Lack of know-how. Now, we live in a do-it-yourself generation. Uh, the internet, uh, social media, uh, video hosting websites have made it possible for us to learn how to do all types of things. Home Depot boasts of being the do-it-yourself warehouse. And so uh, we, we know as a society... Uh, the need to, to learn how to do things. Now, the truth is, uh, for our prayer life, uh, Scripture teaches that simply we, we need to learn how to pray. 
You know, some people will say, I, I, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. I want you to see that Scripture um, teaches that, that you need to learn how to pray. That's no excuse for not praying. We can think of an example in Luke 11, uh, chapter 1. There the Bible tells us that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. Now notice the request of the disciple, Lord, teach us to pray. And that disciple's request implies that disciples must learn how to pray. Get this Bible truth. You are not pre-programmed with all of the necessary information to have an abundant, abounding prayer life. You've got to enter in to the school of discipleship and learn from Jesus and his word of how to pray. So if you feel like you don't know how to pray, don't be overwhelmed. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't fail in this matter. Realize, hey, no one comes out of the womb knowing how to pray. We've got to learn from Jesus. And scripture teaches us, teaches us that we have a resource in the Bible to learn how to pray as well. Consider a passage of scripture like Romans chapter 15, verse number four. There Paul was closing his letter to the Romans and he encouraged them to be really people of God's word. He said, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through encouragement from the scriptures. Get what Paul is saying. All the things that were written in the Old Testament serve as examples for us. The Old Testament and the Word of God is an instruction book for us that teaches us how to live the Christian life and how to have a relationship with God. So lack of know-how is really no excuse. You've got a book called the Bible to teach you how to pray. And Paul emphasized this as well in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, when he spoke of the word of God, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Get this. There's this hindrance to prayer that many of us experience. I've had so many people in the past tell me, pastor, I don't pray because I don't know how to pray. Understand this truth from God. You've got to learn how to pray. And you've got Jesus and you've got the word of God to teach you. Break down that barrier. Don't let that hindrance stop you. So, so our first hindrance is lack of know-how. Um, secondly, we see from Scripture that busyness is often a hindrance to prayer. Busyness. Now, I like to say that busyness is the most cherished American idol. So many of us are so busy, we have zero time for God. So many families are overrun with activities and pre-engagements that there's little time for prayer or for family worship. And for some of us, I know I'm in this boat, for some of us to really experience the life of God and to be revived spiritually, we need to first repent of our busyness. We need to give our calendars and our schedules to the Lord. We, we need to worship Him by making Him first in our daily task list. Now, Scripture encourages us to wage war on busyness. Jesus himself said, Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, speaking of food and clothing, will be added unto you. So hear the heart of Jesus. You want to know how to pray? Do you want to be a committed disciple? You need to make sure he is number one in your life. 
And by doing so, you can tear down the barrier of busyness. Consider what Paul said in Ephesians, writing to first century believers who face some of the same problems we face. He said, pay careful attention then, Ephesians 5.15, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Busyness. For some people, in order for them to have a prayer life, they've got to first wage war on busyness. It's a hindrance that creates a barrier that keeps many of us from praying. At number three, I think of another hindrance to prayer. I think of this thing called sin. Sin. S-I-N. Sin. That three-letter word. James talked about how sin is often a barrier to our prayer life in James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. He said this, What is the source of wars among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. So, so James is describing a sinful lifestyle amongst his readership. If you, if you dig into the Bible background there, you understand that there were probably fist fights amongst James' readers. There were harsh masters or bosses who we believe were being physically violent to, their, uh, to, to the people who worked underneath their leadership. And so these folks went to church together. And so there were fights within the church. And, and James describes those fights and he says this, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now notice that their sinful lifestyle had led to a breakdown in prayer. Their sinful lifestyle had led to a breakdown in prayer. Now what does this mean? How does sin serve as a hindrance to our prayer life? Well, I would encourage you of you to think of it like this. When you have sin in your heart, you are less inclined to pray. When you are dabbling with the things of the world in an ungodly way, you are less likely to be desirous for the things of the Lord. Sin blocks our prayer life in this way. Don't think of it that God's some mean curmudgeon in the sky who sees your failure and thinks, I'm not going to hear your prayers. You're bad. You're evil. I'm holding a grudge. That's not what I'm talking about here. The idea from Scripture is this. When we are cherishing, the psalmist said, when we cherish iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. That is, when our heart is set on the sin and the stuff of fallen humanity, we won't be desirous for prayer. And so there's a need. If we want to tear down the barriers to prayer in our life, there is a need for us to repent and to turn away from the sin that so easily ensnares us, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. See, if you have a secret sin or a pet sin or a cherished sin in your life, you'll be less likely to pray. Your, your heart just won't be in it. The time of prayer will seem like a bore to you. It'll seem like an obligation instead of an opportunity. And so there's a need to turn from sin in order to break down barriers to prayer. Fourth, I think of this hindrance. I think of the hindrance of what I would call strained relationships. Strained 
relationship. Scripture is very clear on this, that when we have a problem with our horizontal relationships, those relationships between us and people on the earth, we're also going to have a problem with our vertical relationship with the Lord. When you have a strained relationship with others, you will have a strained relationship with God. It's for this reason that Jesus gave a lot of teaching on this subject. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 23, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said this, If you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. And notice Jesus says that if we have enmity or hostility between us and another person, it will block our worship. And then Jesus would teach in Matthew 6, 14, right after giving the famous Lord's Prayer, he said, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive, for, will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you of your offenses. So, so here Jesus is teaching, strained relationships with others will inevitably strain our relationship with him. If we have hostility against another, we'll be less likely to pray, pray and our prayers will be hollow and empty. Now remember, it's important that you don't see God as some mean taskmaster in the sky who's keeping a list and thinking, oh, you've been mean to that person or you haven't forgiven that person. I'm not hearing you. God doesn't operate that way. Let, let's avoid legalism and man-made religion. And let's remember we've been called to love. What is Jesus teaching in these passages? He's not teaching that Jesus has a scorecard up in the sky and he's unwilling to hear your prayers when you've done something bad. Jesus is simply teaching that when you have hostility in your soul against the other, your soul will be in such a crooked state that it, will be, it won't be desirous for prayer as it ought. So, so Jesus here isn't advocating a merit-based approach to worship and prayer. Instead, he's speaking of a relational reality. He's not saying that God's mad at you when you have sin or a strained relationship. And sure, God is displeased with those things, but God's not mad at you as if he has a scorecard. Jesus is simply pointing out a relational reality. When you have sin in your soul, when you have um, enmity against another, there is something going on in your soul that will keep you from praying. So I, I can think of a real-world example here. Uh, there perhaps will be some days that I come home and I'm eating supper with my family and my wife is talking to me about what's going on, what's going on during her day. Maybe she's talking to me about uh, a piece of housework or something that's coming up with the family. And after a while of talking, she just noticed that my mind's elsewhere. And while she's talking, her lips are moving and I'm kind of hearing sounds, but my mind is perhaps focused on something from earlier in the day. And because of that, I'm not really listening to her. And after a couple of minutes of her uh, talking, she notices I'm not engaged and she might say something like this, honey, is there something going on? Are you all right? Are you listening to me? And she's caught me once again. She knows that um, I'm, not, I'm not all with her. I'm not there. My, my, my heart and mind is set on something else. 
I believe that's what Jesus is getting at here. This is really in accordance with His great commandment. If, you, if your heart is set on sin or if your heart is, is, is filled with a grudge towards another, you're in violation of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself and your prayer life will break down. So be aware of these hindrances to prayer. Lack of know-how, busyness, sin, strained relationships. Secondly, I want to speak under this, this subject heading. I believe this can encourage us. Understand how prayer works. To break down barriers to prayer, you, you need to be on guard against hindrances to prayer. But you also need to understand how prayer works. Uh, many people perhaps make a fresh commitment to prayer and they set aside some time in their morning to, to pray and maybe they spend 5, 10, 15 minutes in prayer. And then because they don't see immediate results, they give up. You know, we've experienced this in other areas of life. I know for me there's been uh, times where maybe I want to get a little bit fitter. Maybe I'm training for a, a bicycle uh, race and you know, I set out on a course of, of training and eating right to get prepared. And after a few days, if I don't see the result I want to see, I get discouraged and think, well, it's not working, so I might as well quit. A lot of people have that same problem with prayer. And it all comes down to this idea of expectations, unrealistic expectations, or misguided expectations. Let's see from Scripture three results of prayer and realize how God works through prayer. Uh, number one, when we pray, we believe, when we pray in faith and in accordance with God's word, number one, God works in our hearts. Realize this, this is perhaps the greatest work. Many people give up on prayer because they don't see that immediate external answer that they want to see. And they fail to see that the greatest work of prayer is the work God often does in our hearts. In Acts 4.31, we read of the early church, of how they gathered and assembled together. And there the Bible says, after they had committed themselves to pray, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak the Word of God boldly. Now, we can read a verse like that and get focused on the external. Isn't that awesome that the entire building was shaken where they were gathered? But we all know if we go on to read Acts that that wasn't the most awesome thing that happened as a result of their prayers. The most awesome result was that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and God moved in their hearts in such a way that they preached and spoke the word of God boldly. And get this, friend, commit yourself to prayer. Knock down this barrier to prayer that's in your life and realize that the greatest work that often occurs through prayer is the work that God does in your soul. God works in our hearts. Number two, I believe we see in Scripture that when we pray, God can work in the hearts of others. Or really, prayer work is soul work. And when we pray, God does a work in our hearts oftentimes when we're praying in faith and in accordance with His Word. But God also does a work in the hearts of others. I think of an example from the book of 2 Kings. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 6 was on the run. Uh, one of the kings of a, a neighboring nation was seeking after 
Elijah wanting to do him harm because of Elijah's prophecies. In fact, this king had amassed troops and horses and chariots and had surrounded Elijah and his Elijah's prophet apprentice or his servant. And Elijah and his servant were trapped. And the servant, Scripture says, became overwhelmed with discouragement. He was afraid for his life. And uh, Elijah sensed this, he knew this, and offered a prayer to the Lord on behalf of his servant. And he said in 2 Kings six seventeen in prayer, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. When Elijah prayed for this young man, God did a work in the young man's heart. He did a work in the young man's eyes. The the man gained the spiritual capacity to see what the Lord was doing around him and fear vanquished. We see a scriptural precedent. Although we may never be in a similar situation to Elijah where we pray that someone would see chariots of fire all around them, we indeed face circumstances in life where our loved ones, our children, our parents, our spouses, our grandchildren, our co-workers, our fellow church members need our prayers on their behalf. We will often engage in what we call supplication or intercession on behalf of others. And in order to be strong, in order to persist in prayer, we need to realize that the work that God most often does in response to our prayer is this. He works in the hearts of others. A lot of that on our part is undetected. So we need to be careful that we don't give up and that we don't quit. You you may be praying for a loved one to um, turn from alcoholism or or to be saved or to, to quit an inappropriate relationship. And you may feel weary in praying for that individual. Can I encourage you, when you pray for another person, the Lord's commanded you to do that, and God's Word says that the Lord will bless that type of intercessory prayer, don't give up and realize there's things going on behind the veil, things going on in the unseen world. God works in mysterious ways. Just be faithful to pray and trust in God to work in people's hearts. Don't let... This be a discouragement in your prayer life. Break down that barrier and realize that when you pray, God works in your heart and God will work in the hearts of others as well. We need to understand how prayer works. God works in our hearts. God works in the hearts of others. Lastly, I believe we can see that God works in our circumstances. Write down Romans 1, 9 through 10. Romans 1, 9 through 10. And also write down Romans 15, 30 through 31. Romans 1, 9 through 10, and Romans 15, 30 through 31. In Romans 1, 9 through 10, Paul is opening his letter to the church at Rome, and he's expressing his desire to meet with and to see the church in Rome. And and as he does, he, he speaks of his prayer. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. That's speaking of his intercessory prayers. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may know at last 
I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Notice that Paul prayed about his circumstances. He had a desire to go and visit the folks at Rome, but he wasn't really sure if it was God's will. So he he prayed, Lord, if it's your will, help me to go to Rome. Open the door. We see him having these same types of prayers back in Acts chapter 16. He prayed for the Lord to open doors and the Lord closed doors and opened doors in accordance with his will. It's what led to what we now call the Macedonian call. Uh, Paul would speak in his letter to the Corinthians how the Lord opened wide and effectual doors for his ministry. Paul prayed that the Lord would work in his circumstances. And guess what? The Lord did. The Lord closed doors and the Lord opened doors in accordance with his will. And get the meaning for us. Don't don't give up in prayer. Don't back down. Don't get weary. Realize that when you pray, God will be faithful to work in your heart. He'll be faithful to work in the hearts of others. And he'll be faithful to work in your circumstance. Keep the perspective as Paul did that you want God's will and then pray for God's will to be done. Pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Eden. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And guess what? God will be faithful to work in your circumstances in accordance with his will. Don't let your confusion concerning how prayer works to slow down your prayer life. No, when you pray, God will work in your heart. God will work in the hearts of others. God will work in your circumstances. Isn't it true we often have barriers to prayer? And isn't it true we need to break down barriers to prayer? Understand this scriptural truth and realize how it can help you in your discipleship journey. Be on guard against hindrances to prayer. Overcome your lack of know-how. Wage war on busyness. Fight against indwelling sin and strained relationships. And then realize how prayer works. God works in your heart. He works in the heart of others. And he works through your circumstances. Archibald Brown was the pastor who followed Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit in London, England in the 19th century. And he said this about prayer. You will overcome all difficulties if you but give yourself to prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to be people of prayer. We pray with the early disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Father, help us to fight against all of these hindrances that keep us from a healthy prayer life and help us to have appropriate expectations, realizing how you work through prayer and make us into strong people of prayer so that we can experience your goodness and so that we can live lives that give you great glory in this earth. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for our lesson on basic prayer. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast or visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the material presented in this lesson or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.